All right. Well, good morning. We are officially in the second week of 2023. I'm thankful for that. How many of you made a New Year's resolution this year? How many of you are holding strong to it? Every year I make a New Year's resolution, and that is this, to not make a New Year's resolution. I think I might have failed that already. But one thing about the new year, we, we have times in our life that it is good to kind of sit back and reflect. What happened in 2022? What happened over the last five years? What happened over the last 10? Well, as a church this last year, we had a challenge. And that challenge was to read through the entire Bible in one year. And we called it the Bible Recap. So this sermon is actually the recap on the Bible Recap. We're going to be actually going through the entire Bible in the next uh, hour and a half. They brought sack lunches, right? <laughs> but I have a question for you. How many of you read through the entire Bible this year? Maybe. Oh, that's awesome. How many of you are still finishing it up? That is awesome. How many of you gave up or stopped or, or was kind of was like, you know what? I, I, I can't quite do this. But you read more of the Bible this year than any time ever. That is awesome. Our goal of the church and the goal of going through the entire Bible was to dive into God's word as a church. So if you read it, if you opened it up for the first time, if you read more than you ever read before, maybe if you completed it. I'll be honest, I'm super proud of my wife. She did it and she made it on time. I kind of gave up a while ago and focused more on the sermons themselves. I struggled with it, I'll be honest. But one of the good things about the new year is we reflect the last year, the last five, the last ten years. I want to challenge you. Think, think through the last few years. What has God done in your life? What has brought you here today? Because it's not by accident that you're here today. God has you here for a reason and a purpose. And I'll be honest, when I look back the last five years, you couldn't have paid me a thousand dollars and said, you're going to be here today. I would have said, you're insane. Five years ago, I was sitting behind a desk at Wells Fargo, tapping away. I was serving a de- as a deacon in my church, teaching Sunday school, leading a life group. I was helping lead our youth camp that we would do every summer. And I actually was a leader of one of the schools. It was juniors and seniors. And I worked on the main messages and equipping other leaders to pour into these students. And I loved it. Little did I know, not too long after that, I knew I was going to get laid off and I would go from walking behind a desk at Wells Fargo to becoming a truck driver. That would actually spend the next year and a half, two years away from my family more than I've ever done before because of training and being laid off. Little did I know that through that and walking so much at work and being a deacon, being a Sunday school teacher, being a life group leader, doing all these things, leading the, the video and sound even though I'm half tone deaf, that I would face burnout. And I would lose my reason that I was doing it. And not only that, little did I know that five years ago, I was like, yes, God, awesome, that I would go, why am I doing this to being hurt and damaged by the church? To getting laid off again, going to Wisconsin and actually telling the church, I'm sorry, I can't be a part of this church anymore. That actually, I would spend the next year and a half, because I went to Wisconsin, I had a son that was born, we had left the church, and then COVID hit. And I spent a year and a half not in the church. You see, I was preaching maybe two to three months. And then I stopped for the last three years. 
Little did I know that when I was laid off, my wife and I would talk about where would we go? Where would we move to? And we would always go, definitely not Missouri. We had no way we're going to Missouri. You know what? We'll go anywhere else but Missouri. I don't know. There's some rivalry between Iowa and Missouri. I never understood. But it was like ingrained in us. For some reason, we would not move to Missouri. And actually, when I applied for jobs, I'm working for a trucking company. I actually applied for Colorado Springs, Colorado, and Wausau, Wisconsin. Didn't get either one of those, but through applying for those, I got a job offer to come down to Columbia, Missouri. And I'm like, okay. You see, I had lost my identity of who I was and what my mission was. And so when it came to go to Columbia, I'm like, I got to provide for my family. This is who I am. I'm the provider. I'm the father. I'm the husband. Who brought us to here to Columbia? And we get down here, and I'll be honest, I was hurt. I was damaged. I didn't want any part to do with the church. I used COVID as an excuse. But deep down inside, I was lost. I was confused. Long story short, God brought us here to Jefferson City to become part of Memorial Baptist Church. Looked it up online. I was like, hey, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Let's go. And so I'm so thankful for the shepherding council for David and Adam to kind of help me heal, help me find out who my identity is, find out who I am, what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's actually what we're going to be talking about today. The two big philosophical questions that's riddled throughout the entire Bible. We will be going through Genesis to almost Revelation. We might touch a little bit. But it's the two big questions. Who am I? And what am I here for? What is my identity and what is my mission? We're going to look at what is Israel's identity and what is the missions? Why are we here? Is it just so we can sing and encourage one another and go home, or is it something deeper? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be going through a lot of the Bible here this morning. So I encourage you to pick up the Black Bibles in front of you if you don't have one. That's yours to keep. The Scriptures will also be up here as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and fill our minds, to soften us, to, to guide us and guide your words, that we may respond to what you called us to respond to. That you're the one that is speaking and not me. Calm my heart and calm my soul to focus on you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we can't preach the whole Bible if we don't start in Genesis. We understand in the beginning, God made everything, right? And if you remember, when God made everything, he said it was what? Good. He made the sky, he made the mountains, he made the earth, he made the fish, he made everything. And when he made man, what did he say about man? What, how was that made? Very good. Very good. And actually read in Genesis 1, 26-28, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see Adam and Eve, when they were made, they were made in God's image to reflect who God was. They were made for God. And it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over everything. To summarize it up. 
So they were made in God's image and his likeness. And they were made to be fruitful and to multiply. And I think we have a pastor here that is uh, taking that to heart a little bit. <laughs> and doing a very good job at that. <laughs> and actually, if we read in chapter 2 of Genesis, verses 7, it goes a little bit deeper on, on how God made Adam and Eve. When God made Adam, in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So, when God made everything else, he spoke. He used his word. He said, let it be. But in chapter 2, verse 7, we see something different. We see that God came down and it formed him out of the dust. So, if you imagine that shaping man, shaping Adam. And only did he shape him, he breathed life into him. There's something, if you look through the entire Old Testament, there's a big problem that Israel has, that everyone has, and that's idolatry. Worship of idols. Now, if you think of idols, how, how are idols made? There's a craftsman, a person, who takes some gold, silver, or bronze, shapes this statue with an open mouth. Why with an open mouth? So that when they give sacrifices, offerings, that the God that worship may fill the idol and be with the people and bless them. But here we see God made man and he breathed life into them because they were to be his image bearers from the very beginning. And they were supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They're supposed to dwell with God, walk with him, and be content in who he is and who they are made to be in his likeness. But we see in Genesis chapter 3, things didn't go so well. They, they lost their identity a little bit. They were tempted by the serpent who is very crafty by challenging their identity and saying, you could have a different one. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 5, But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Think about this. They were with God, dwelling with him, his image bearer. Their mission was to be fruitful and multiply. And here the serpent says, hey, guess what? Your identity, you can be like God. You can know good and evil. You can decide for yourself what's right or wrong. And they saw, ooh, this is good. The fruit looks good. It looks tasty. And they lost something. From the very beginning, from the fall, they lost the identity of who God was because they pursued an identity that was not their own, to be more like God than what God called them to be, which is ironically like God as his image bearers. So we look at their identity, image bearers of God, the mission, very simply, to obey God and be fruitful and multiply. And after the fall, they go out, they have babies, they start being fruitful, they start multiplying. And we get to Genesis <clears throat> chapter 11. Right. I jumped too far. Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. So the mission be fruitful and multiply, to fill the ends of the earth. Well, instead, Genesis. Chapter 11, Tower of Babel, the whole earth had one language 
in the same wards. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain of the land and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bone them thoroughly. And they made bricks from stone and bitumen from mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So the identity was to be image bearers of God still. That's why the mankind was made. They're supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And instead, what do they do? Hey, let's all come together. Let's build something grand so that people can go and say, look at me. Look at how good we are. That way we can stay here and not have to go and be dispersed. They made their own identity. They wanted to have the name for themselves, define who they were themselves. And they didn't want to spread out and follow the mission that God called them to do. They did the opposite. So what happens? They get dispersed. Languages get confused. God fulfills what he wants and he sends them out anyways. And in this, they lost who God was, knowing who God was, knowing what the mission is. But it doesn't stop there. The story continues with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. See, Abraham was this random guy. He wasn't worshiping God. He wasn't serving God. He was literally just doing what everyone else does, probably worshiping the moon. More than likely, there's different things he might have been worshiping. But God comes down to Abraham in Genesis 12 and says, go. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Leave everything behind that you know. Leave your identity that you currently have behind. And I'll go somewhere that I'm going to show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whom, him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham now had a mission that he didn't know he had before. Which was to go Well, God's going to tell him to go, be obedient, and God is going to make him a great nation, and he's going to be a blessing to the world. And we know Abraham was the start of Israel. So this mission was to go out and be God's nation, God's people. And a lot happens between Abraham that they grow, he has many kids, Many kids had Father Abraham. We all know the song. He was fruitful. He was multiplied. He was building a people for himself. But he was still falling short. It still got messed up time and time again. They forget the mission. They forget the purpose. There's betrayal. There's deceit. God's orchestrating everything behind the scenes. How that works, I don't know. But they end up in Exodus. In Egypt. They end up being slaves in Egypt. Being whipped, beaten, forced walk. Here you have this people of God that God told Abraham to go. Now they're in Egypt, not even in the promised land. But they're there for a purpose. You see, Egypt and being in the Exodus and that time with the Pharaoh served a purpose and a reason. And that was so that God could actually show his power and might so that other people would see and see how great God is as he led the people out of of Egypt. And the cool thing is, is we start seeing a glimpse at the very beginning in Exodus. 
In Exodus 12, chapter 12, verse 38, that when they left Egypt, when they were driven out by Pharaoh, after you had the plagues, after you had the Passover lamb that was slaughtered, the blood put on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over them, after all these miraculous signs, they get driven out. Israel didn't leave alone. A mixed multitude also went up with them with a lot of livestock and flocks and hordes. So here you have Israel, slaves in Egypt, as they're driven out, other people coming in. And that is a common theme throughout the entire Old Testament. They are driven out. Now the Passover, I mentioned it, that is very important. When we think of the Passover, often we think of the Lord's Supper. Because we celebrate the Lord's Supper because Jesus' body was beaten for us. His blood was shed for us. And through his death and sacrifice, death passes over us when we put our faith in him. And so that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember that. Well, the Israelites were called to remember what God did in Egypt. And the Passover lamb that they slaughtered, that they spread so that the death would pass over them. So they had a Passover supper. And they had rules and regulations with that. And it's so interesting because it starts off in chapter 12, verse 43, when it gives the commands of it. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is a statue for the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. No random person coming along can eat of this Passover. It is sacred for you because what God has done, remember, it's to him. So no random person, no foreigner can take it. But in verse 48, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as native of the land. But no uncircumcised portion shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Catch this, so no foreigner, no random person from the outside can partake in the Passover. But there's a difference. Someone who says, you know what? I see who your God is. I see what he's done. And I want to be a part of you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to live life with you. I'm going to get circumcised in obedience to what God's called. I cringe every time I think of that. I would not want to do that. But you see that. Even in the Exodus, before Israel really was even in the promised land, was really a unified nation. God's saying, hey, mixed multitude is going to go up with you. There's going to be foreigners coming through. Don't let them eat of the Passover. But if they join you, if they sojourn and they walk with you and they are obedient to God, circumcision was a confession in a way to be following God, then they can. See, Israel had a mission. Israel had a new identity. Israel as a nation as it developed. Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. Now, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, these are the words that shall speak to the people. See, Israel had a new identity as a nation. 
They are to be God's treasured possession. They're going to be a kingdom of priests. They're going to be holy. They had a mission to obey God, obey His voice, to obey His covenant. The agreement that they made with God, that if God says, I'm going to do this, if you do this, they said, yes, we will. That was their mission, was to obey God and His covenant. They were actually supposed to be God's representatives as a nation so that others outside would come and see God's power, see God's might, see God's blessing on Israel and go, I want to be a part of that. I want to go from a foreigner to sojourn with them because I see what God is doing in Israel. That was the mission. It was to connect the fallen world to God. That's what a priest does, right? We don't really have priests today. We don't sacrifice animals and stuff like that. I'd find that a little weird if you saw David come up here and be like, Hey, here's Mary had a little lamb. We don't do that. But the pastor or shepherd does the same thing. We go and we go, let me pray with you. Let me share who God is with you. When we preach the gospel, when we preach his word, we're saying, come connect with God. We still have that role today. And back then, the priest would actually offer sacrifices. Oh, I've sinned. I did this wrong. Or, hey, God did this amazing thing. I'm going to bring this sacrifice to bring glory to God. And the priest was the intercessor there. He bridged the gap. And Israel, as a nation, as a whole, was supposed to bridge that gap and show people who God was. Unfortunately, they messed it up. It wasn't sufficient. And see, as they build up, they started becoming a nation. You had the time of the judges where they go, you know what? I'm going to do whatever's right on my own eyes. Kind of takes you back to Adam and Eve, right? I know good and evil. I can choose what's right. I can choose what's wrong. So we have the time of the judges. Then we get to the kings. We get King David. And we know the Davidic promise, the Davidic covenant, where God told David, hey, I'm going to have an everlasting kingdom through your line. I want you to get ready to build a temple. Because at this point they had tents. And tab- the tabernacle was a big tent. That they traveled all- along for God's house. And God told David. You're not going to build my-, my temple. Your son's going to. And Solomon builds it. He builds a temple. A house of the Lord to be a beacon for others. That they could come into Israel. And into Jerusalem and worship God. Both Israelites and the sojourners, the foreigners that are looking to, who is this God? And Solomon, he gets it, kind of. At the beginning, he builds the temple. And in 1 Kings eight forty one, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country, for your namesake, for God's namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand, your outstretched arm, When he comes and prays towards this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do accordingly to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. As do your people Israel, that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Solomon kind of gets it. This temple, this house, this house for God Foreigners are going to hear about it. They're going to see your great name. They're going to see your mighty works. They're going to come. Listen to them, God. 
Solomon understood his identity was God's treasure possession, a kingdom of priests. To be holy, the mission wasn't just for them, but it was also to bring outsiders in from foreigners to sojourners. We see this riddle throughout the Old Testament. Now we know Solomon. Solomon had a big problem. He had a lot of wives. And with his lot of wives from other kingdoms, other religions, he fell in idolatry as well. He lost his identity. He lost his mission because he decided to pursue something else, something different. And we see Israel just, it's just not enough. It's not right. They mess it up along the way. You get different kings that come up and fall down. Get a couple good ones. Most of them are, are pretty bad. And actually, we see the journey as we look through kings that Israel is losing their identity throughout the way. So much though that they had God's word written down. And you know what they did? They lost it. They lost it. They pursued other gods, other identities, other missions. So much though that God said, you know what? I'm spitting you out of this promised land. And they leave in the exile. They get kicked out of the promised land that was promised all the way to Abraham. Eventually, you get some people that go, you know what? We messed up. We should come back. And God allows them to come back and brings them back. And there's one more point I really want to kind of catch you with. And that is in Ezekiel 47. See, Israel's identity was to be God's people, to be representative, to bring the foreigners in, to be sojourners with them, and to worship God, to glorify God and obey Him. And they lost all that. They messed it all up. And when God brought them back, God says to Ezekiel something that kind of blew my mind. Ezekiel 47, 22 through 23. So you shall divide this land among you according to the tribes of Israel. Come back. We're going to divide it back up to the tribes. Okay. Good. You shall allot it as an inheritance for yourselves. Israelites, it's for you. Come back. Take your allotment. Take your inheritance. Many of us are at different stages of life. But as you get older, you start thinking, what am I going to leave behind to my kids? What are they going to have? It's for them sometimes that we pass things on. You know, much with land in the Old Testament times, you had a lot of land. You divided amongst your kids because that's how you continued on. So, that, hey, divide amongst yourselves. And for the sojourners who reside among you and have children among you, they shall be as native-born children of Israel when they shall be allotted in an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe the sojourner resides, there you shall assign him his inheritance, declares the Lord. So now you see when they come back, even the sojourners, even those that are part of the 12 tribes of Israel, got a piece of the inheritance to come back, to dwell in. Of course, they come back, they rebuild the temple, they do all these things, but they're still separated from God. They still don't have that full identity of who God is. And actually they were sitting waiting for a Messiah to come. A Savior to come to rescue them. So why do we study the Old Testament? Why does this story from Genesis, Abraham, through all these kings and all the times they messed up, and the identity and mission of Israel, why does that even matter? 
Well, it matters because you know what? That's actually part of our story. You see, the sojourners were grafted into Israel, into the inheritance. And likewise, we are grafted into the story of Abraham. We're grafted in because of Jesus Christ. You see, we talked about the very beginning in Genesis that God spoke. His words made everything. And in John, we actually read that in the beginning was the word. And the word was God. And the word became flesh. That is Jesus with Abraham, that covenant, when God said, through your seed, I'm going to bless. That seed is single, pointing to Christ. To the Davidic covenant, when God says, I'm going to have an everlasting kingdom. You will forever be on the throne. That points us to Jesus Christ. And we actually, if we reflect just a month ago, we celebrated that this Messiah, this Savior, this King, was born in a manger. Humbled himself to be born as a manger, to walk among us. Fully God and fully man. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 29. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So why do we baptize? Well, first off, somebody needs to put the faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Because Jesus came, born as a man, born in a manger, lived his life, life as a perfect image bearer of God himself because he was God himself. And paid the price on the cross for our sins. And if we put our faith and trust in Him, we follow in obedience and baptism. Which if you think of baptism, following obedience of a response to what God's called you to do, that actually kind of takes you back to Exodus, to circumcision. It's actually very similar when you look into it. But when you put your faith and trust in Christ, and you find your identity in Him, verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Whoa. So then all of a sudden you think about the Old Testament, that story of Abraham's calling, of him being a blessing to all nations, to all families. We're a part of that. That becomes our story. And of course, when you look at Abraham, you've got to understand Abraham in light of Genesis. So the entire Old Testament, New Testament is actually one unified story pointing us to Jesus Christ. And you know what? We're a part of that story when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So who are we? What is my identity? What is my mission? To put a faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what is it? Well, First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The beginning of this passage, does that sound familiar? Does that sound like something we just heard a little bit ago? In Exodus, what's Israel's identity? A kingdom of priests. A royal priesthood. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God 
who through Christ reconciled to us himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So who am I? What is my identity? Why am I here? Well, through Jesus Christ, we have a new identity. It says we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I was really thinking about this because as I was reflecting the last five years of my life and what God has done in it, I spent a year and a half going, I'm done with God. I'm done with his identity. I'm done with what he's done. I'm just, I was hurt and I was in pain. But in reality, my identity was supposed to be in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But I was identifying as that guy who was hurt by the church, who was angry and bitter and wanted nothing to do with that. I was identifying myself as, you know what? I'm a provider for my family. I'm going to do what I can to give us a roof, give us food, and I'm going to work and work and figure this out. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to be a father. I'm going to be a husband. I'm going to do everything else. And I'd lost who I was, and I became questioning everything. And there's often, we find our identities in our past. I had a friend, and I, I love this guy to death. Whenever he introduced himself, he always introduced himself as a recovering alcoholic. He was a Christian. He put his faith in God. But whenever you talk to him, it's always like, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Like it was a badge or an identity of who he was. And I understand if you faced addiction, it never goes away. It's always a struggle. It's always there. And I'm not belittling that. But his identity should not be, I'm a recovering alcoholic. It should be, I am a child of God and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. His identity should be in Christ. Our identity isn't, I'm a truck driver. I'm a teacher. It isn't, I've messed this up. I got divorced. I'm, it, the identity shouldn't be, sorry, David and Adam, that I'm a pastor, that I'm a deacon. If that's your identity, you are falling short of the identity that God's done for you. Because see, you're a new creation. The old, anything that you've done in the past is gone. You're new in Christ. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. We are one in Christ. Which means, another thing, when our identity is in Christ, we are not alone. Together, our identity is in Christ. Together as a church, we need each other because we need Christ. So then, if this is who we are now, a new creation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people, what's our mission? To be image bearers of God, to be ambassadors for Christ, to proclaim His excellencies, to make disciples. I mean, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. From the very beginning, the mission, when after the fall, was to be image bearers of God, to be fruitful, multiply, to show God to the nations around, to reconcile a broken world to God. 
And that is our mission. Because we have a new identity in Christ and the others doesn't matter. But we want to worship God passionately. Connect authentically. We want to know God deeply. To grow in our knowledge of God. And we want to go proclaim His excellencies. See, when we go and we make disciples, it isn't just that we go out and go, here's who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus has done. And then let them be. But we actually invite them in to worship God passionately. To connect authentically. To grow in our knowledge of God deeply. And then to encourage them to go out and make more disciples. There's a reason why I shared what I'm ashamed of. That this identity and mission is hard. There's a reason why I shared that there was a year and a half that I went, I want nothing to do with this. And I went from preaching God's word every few months to doing what God was calling me to do, to being confident in who I was in Him, to going, I, I'm hurt and I, I'm done. Because I don't want to just be somebody who comes up here and preaches and go, here's what God's word says. I got it all together. I got it figured out. I don't. I can guess probably most of you don't. It's like I want to ask you this. What is your identity? What is your mission? What are you here for? Why am I here? What am I doing and why am I doing it? So if you find your identity in anything else, you're going to fall short. Much like Israel did. Much like I have. See, we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. When you put your faith and trust in Him. It is when you find your identity in Christ that you find your mission for Christ. And that mission is to proclaim Him and not ourselves. Uh, as the worship team comes forward, I just want to pray with you and encourage you that if, if you're confused on what your identity is, if, if you've been lost and you want to put your, your identity in Christ, you want to know who He is, know what it means that He paid the price on the cross for our sins, I'd love to speak with you and pray with you. I know David and Adam would as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you that you sent your son to pay the price for our sins. I praise you that you've called us to a ministry of reconciliation, of drawing people to you and you alone. Lord, I pray for humbleness of our hearts to receive your identity over our own, to put our old aside and trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.